Welcome to New Shooter Canada. Please remember that the show's content and word pronunciation is simply the opinion of the hosts and their guests. Well, I like guns, and I like being free. Because I'm armed, you can't take that from me, and you should know it. Hello, and welcome to New Shooter Canada, episode 208. I'm one of your hosts tonight, Mike, and with me I have Thomas. Hey, do Mike. Good. Josh. Hey, how's it going? Good. And Amanda. Good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Not bad. Good. All right. We're doing all right. That's good. Thomas, what <laughs> have you been up to lately? Nothing. Next. Um, <laughs> really, nothing. I uh, I entered a few gun contests. Still nothing. Didn't win anything. I uh, did open my safe and funnel a few guns, but that didn't really help. I got really bored, and I polished the action bars in my uh, Winchester XP. The action's bar doing smooth now. The trigger's decent. Just need a place to test it. Uh, well, I could. Technically, even though the range is closed, the business can still use the range as part of the business. So technically, if I really, really wanted to, I could go into the range and test fire my stuff. But I don't think it's fair since it's closed to all the other members. And I'm technically COVID laid off until everything opens up. So same as last time. We, we shut down last time. I didn't use it. Even though I could, I won't. Because to me, it's just it's not fair. People are paying the fees. Um, so what unfortunately, would you use to polish the rails? I had some turtle wax polishing compound that I've had for about 20 years and I wrapped on the rails and I wrapped it on the bars and I just cycled it about a hundred times, but the same thing I did with uh, Benny Zuzcon and it takes forever to get all that gunk out of it once you've done it. But it, it's like firing, it's like cycling it five or six times. You just apply the wax and then cycle it. It's like a very, very mild abrasive and you just put it in there and just cycle it like a hundred times and it just wears everything in nice and smooth. Hmm. This one was a little, little. It wasn't as bad as the Uzcon. Uzcon, I bet you I did that about a hundred, two hundred pumps. The Winchester smoothed out pretty quick. All the time, most of the time was taken off, was cleaning all the gunk in there, right? Because right. it gets everywhere. And of course, I got yelled at for doing it over the kitchen sink, so I was in the bad books <laughs> for that one. <laughs> oh man, I got into a lot of trouble last month. I um, I went out and bought some blue writ dye, and I figured, okay, I'm gonna writ dye my my Delica. And my Ontario rat, blue. So no problem. I did it. They turned out very nice. I was very happy with it. I just poured everything out down the sink and rinsed everything out, put it in the dishwasher and washed away. Well, I didn't bother, like, rinsing or washing the sink. And the uh, the PSW came in an hour later. I guess she was cleaning stuff in the sink. She walked out of the house with uh, Smurf hands. She wasn't impressed with me. <laughs> I guess I had dialogue along the side of the, the sink. So, uh, yeah. I'd like to see a picture of that rat. How did it turn out? It came out really nice. It came out, I discovered that you need different dye for different materials because the blue dye worked well on the rat. Uh, it came out a lighter blue. It came out a really uh, much darker blue on the Spartaco FRN, and it wouldn't even touch the uh, the G10 on my uh, Luna Light. It sort of changed it from uh, like a puke yellow piss green color to almost like a, <laughs> a light gray. A light gray. It, is, it, looks, it looks a little dirty now, but it didn't change the color. So obviously I used the wrong dye for uh, that material. What uh, gun contest did you enter in for? Yeah, and why didn't you sh- why didn't you share it with us? <clears throat> I entered a couple with um, Naz Guns and Ammo, 
Um, they usually have quite a few contests. And at work, we had the great big uh, whitetail contest this year. And I've entered that contest every year since the store opened up, so 2017. Employees can enter the contest, but we can't win the grand prize. Grand prize, are, you just get $1,000 and somebody else's names get drawn for the grand prize. So this year, I figure, okay, I'm going to double my chances. So I put a uh, bot Terry ticket too. Yeah, nothing. I have a free hat. I have a free hat. But they actually, they had their first uh, online auction this week on, on Facebook. And it went really well. So you're probably seeing some um, more online auctions coming up. It was it was a trial and error because on problem with Facebook, if, if a lot of people started responding, then everything slowed down and would freeze. So we had, had to restart it three or four times. But it went well. And... Uh, did uh, did people get any good deals out of that, or was it like going to most auctions these days where you end up paying 10% over asking now? It was funny. A couple people, there was a, a Midland 20 gauge, and people paid way too much on it. Because, <laughs> you know, I guess they really wanted it. Yeah. And then there was a... Just get excited so about the bidding war. Well, what he was going to do, he had, um, i trying to remember what it was. He had a Browning Wicked Wing... And oh, what was the other one? And he did um, a bread of 400 extreme up the, the gold one. All Seracord, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, they went cheap. They went cheap. I don't think he lost his shirt, but I don't think he made very much money on those guns. They went really cheap. So there was, was a couple of really good deals. And the best one is at the Winchester Wildcat. Um, when they're doing the draw for that, um, because they go for what, 375 I think, right? Um, I don't remember. I honestly don't know because I've been in the store for a few weeks. And I think the highest bid, we had a lot of bids at 300 and then he called it, you know, the winner at 300 and Then all these 300 bids started coming up, $300 bids. So he yells over to the, uh, I can hear him yell over to Garrett. He said, oh, how many have we got left in stock? He goes, we got 30. He said, I'll tell you what. Everybody that bid $300, you can all have one for three. And he, I think he sold off all the Winchester's in that one bid. Oh wow! So he probably didn't make. He, he probably broke even on those, but it's just good to get rid of the stock and get new stuff in anyway. So, yeah. So I would say you have to have some good deals to be had. That's good. That's good. And a lot of free stuff too. Like he'd say he'd answer you know some strange questions, and you could win game calls or you could win t-shirts or hats and stuff. So um, it went pretty well. I, I was wish I would have would have been there. It looked like it was a lot of fun, but I, did, I get to watch it on Facebook like everybody else. Is, is that where it was? It was on Facebook. I didn't. I wasn't yeah. able to watch it. I saw you. I saw the link, but yeah, I think it's the first time. I think it's good. We we uh, they hired um, a gentleman named Ian. I guess he would say he's like our um, multimedia guy. So he does. We have a big presence on Instagram, and he's always showing up on my messengers, and he's got all kinds of followers. So he's very active that way. So he, I think he's probably organizing stuff like that. And it's a good thing to have, to have a media person these days, especially with uh, with COVID and all the restrictions, so that way you've got a, another audience or another way of you know reaching your customers and audiences. And right. let's see what else. Um, and I noticed something the other day. I was looking at. Uh, I subscribed to quite a few new gun shops, and this I won't say who it was, but it was a newer shop, and they're doing pre-orders on Shot Show specials. Um, which I thought was kind of funny because why do a pre-order on a shot show special? Because it's all new products and they're going to be released in a couple of weeks anyway. And we're probably not going to see them normally. It would take three or four months to get up here. U.S. orders get filled first right now with COVID. 
and reduce production. It could be six months, but they are coming. So I don't see why you want to do a pre-order or something like that because it's, it's just a matter of time. Because well, most that's, major, like, that, that's a company thing, though, right? They're trying if it's a newer real t- uh, retailer, then they're doing that to bring cash flow in. Oh, um, definitely. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's no benefit to the to the customer at all, and, and I, I agree with you on that point. But that is well, that's a 100%. Let's bring some money in before we actually get the product. <laughs> And well, and I can understand with a lot of smaller retailers because they're not going to have the capital to bring, you know, like getting, say, for example, one Winchester, one of the 92s, you know, that's your cost, maybe 1500 per rifle, 1700 yeah. per rifle. That's a, that's a lot of money for a small retailer. Where he could probably get, you know, three or four or 1022s and get his money back really fast. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can understand them doing it. But at the same time, with a newer company that you're not familiar with and with these economic times, I, I wouldn't, I'm just not pre-ordering anything right now, oh, especially after, either. yeah. you know, we, we've seen a lot of nasty things happen lately with pre-orders and mm-hmm. you know, it's a product that's going to be available anyway. It's not like it's uh, you're waiting for that 180C to come out before you want it before anybody else. This is an annual thing that companies do every year. There's some of them are special, but I wouldn't be pre-ordering it from uh a small retailer, um, for example, like if you wanted one of the Brownings or the Winchester stuff, speak to Kevin at East Outdoors. We're the biggest Browning Winchester dealer in North America, or sorry, in Canada. Uh, yeah. We can get it for anybody else. If you want one, call Kevin. He'll get it for you as soon as it gets in the country. If it's in production, like, we can get it. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, I... I opened up my 627 and cleaned out all the internals of it. I uh, make a point not to do that very often. One, because I just don't want to. I don't like cleaning my guns. That's not something I enjoy about this hobby. But it has to be done. And uh, another part of that, too, is that to take a Smith & Wesson revolver apart, you have to take the uh, the hammer spring off. So when you do that, normally you would tighten it all the way up every time but for me i had it kind of preset somewhere a little bit lighter so it would still put set off all the primers but yet give me a lighter trigger pull so that's why i avoid doing it but i figured it's the winter time it's a good time to take it all apart clean it all up and then i can have it all set up running but unfortunately i forgot to check my trigger pull before i took it apart because by checking the trigger pull i would be able to essentially set it up again to the same trigger pull, which should give me the same hammer strike, which should set off all my primers. But I forgot, so I just thought, whatever, I'll just put it in all the way and I'll go through the whole process when I have time to uh, to check it again. And I just put the screw in all the way and I tested the trigger pull just for fun before I put it away. And it came out uh, under seven pounds, which is, you know, great for me. That, that's low enough for me. Um, so I don't know what happened to it. I assume that it's just been from the last year that I've been uh, I've been working it, and it just w- broke it in, I guess. And now I've gotten a nice trigger pull, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, no, I did. I, I have to. Add, that's seven pounds double action. That oh yeah, all double action. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I I don't yeah. That's sorry. a nice trigger to get double action down to seven pounds. Well, it's under. It's hitting somewhere around six and three quarter. So I don't trust my trigger scale to 100%, but it's good. It, it's not bad, but I wouldn't use it as a start going into the decimals with it. But either way, I'm pretty happy with it. I did end up checking my other 627, my backup. Now, it's all the screw on it is all the way in uh, because it's my backup. And, you know, 
if I'm going to my backup, I'm already having a really bad day. The last thing I want to be doing is, you know, wondering whether it's going to set off my primer or not. So I leave it all the way in and I realized it feels smoother, but it's also heavier. So I kind of wonder if the extra weight of the trigger kind of hides some of the, uh, the imperfections that you can feel with a lighter trigger. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. You notice any, any metal to metal contact. Yeah. Whereas with the, the lighter one, I, I can feel, I, I don't want to call it grit cause it's not grit. It's just, it had a different feeling. It doesn't have a smooth buttery feeling. Yeah. Need some turtle wax. <laughs> oh, trust me. I have waxed the, the heck out of the, that revolver when I first got it, when I ripped it all apart, but Whatever, I'm happy with it now, so I'm just going to leave it, and uh, I'll just be sure to uh, double-check that the the trigger pull can actually set off my primers. If for some reason it can't, then that means that maybe I, I wore out my hammer spring, and I need to get a new hammer spring for it. So I wouldn't be surprised with the amount of rounds you put through it. Well, I'm going to guess, Thomas, you've, you haven't put enough rounds through a revolver or Smith & Wesson revolver to know when you need to change it at the spring, have you? No, because I don't think my 625, I shot that for... Actually, when I got it, I, I replaced all the springs. And yeah, I never had to replace them after that because I bought it used. So no, I've never had to replace them. Yeah. 1911s, yeah, revolvers, no. Yeah. And so my GP100, I only ever had to replace that that hammer spring once. And that was towards the end of me using it too. So, I mean, I shot, I don't know if I had to ballpark, I would guess somewhere between 10 and 25,000 rounds through it before I had to change that spring out. I think I've, I think I've shot about 5,000 rounds last year because I didn't shoot very many matches. So I didn't get out as much, but I did dry fire a lot more. Mind you, my dry fire routine doesn't include a lot of trigger pulls, so I don't know. Either way, I'll, uh, I'll when I test it with the primer, if it goes off, if they all go off, then great. Then I'll just be happy and I'll just attribute it to parts wearing in. But if it doesn't go off, then I'll have to attribute it to, uh, you know, a spring getting weak and I'll have to get a new one. And I mean, it just lets me know that, you know, I should buy like a dozen of those hammer springs because I guess they wear out faster than I expect them to. Why don't you just uh, make up some dummy rounds with just primer only and see if they ignite? I will. Um, I won't do that with the kids at home. And no, it, it tends to scare the hell out of the family when you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And based on the latest set of stay-at-home orders and stuff, um, I'm the only one who leaves the house anymore. So kind of yeah. hard to find time to <laughs> to shoot off primers when everyone's home. So, <laughs> yeah. So. Have you have you have you ever actually let off um, a primer when you tried to deprime a live primer primer in your case on your press? Not on my. Uh, I haven't no, and I say that and I say specifically I haven't because I think so. Sarah, I tried to get Sarah to reload a couple of times. Just you know, interest. I'm trying to share the hobby with her, and I was just trying to convince her. You know, load a few rounds for me while I'm doing something else. And I think she's only done it twice. And the two times she did it, she somehow managed to fire off a primers. I've done it and it scares the crap out of you. Yeah. Because it ignites and it's dangerous because I've actually, you know, sometimes when you're, especially with the leases to when you put the, the primary tray in and you flip it, sometimes the primer gets flipped over. So you put it aside and if you're going to take it out, you got to do it really, really slow. And I accidentally mixed it in with some brass that I was depriming anyway. I just hit it full force. 
And that little anvil embedded itself in the wood. Oh, wow. I just, and of course, I, get, I got yelled at big time from somebody upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> nope, I've never had that problem. Not yet, at least. Knock on wood. But, but yeah, that, that's about all I've gotten up to. Uh, not really uh, enthusiastic about getting out to the range in this minus 10, minus 15 degree weather. And just enjoying the off season right now. I'm I'm sure that I'll I'll get at it again when things start picking up though. So Josh, what have you been up to? Oh gosh, I haven't shot a gun in forever. I don't know, <laughs> almost nothing. It's awful. Our you you said getting out to the range, but our range is shut down. Uh, we decided why? to why? shut down because of COVID. Just to, I don't know. We had an executive meeting and that was the vote, and we just thought it was too difficult to manage the protocols. So, oh, that's all that shut it down. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. It is. So I haven't really been able to get out and do anything, not even the archery range. So Hmm. that's really that's really too bad, considering there's a whole exemption right in the the lockdown right now for outdoor gun ranges. I know. And and a bunch of the members have sent us that. (laughs) Yeah. So but I don't know. It's hopefully it won't last too long and we can get back out there. Yep. Um, we had our first, uh, it was kind of funny. We had our first virtual executive meeting at the gun club and, you know, most of the guys are kind of old and we're trying to figure out the tech and that was a little bit, uh, a <laughs> little bit interesting trying to get on a FaceTime together, but, uh, that went all right. Um, I think maybe we'll try, we haven't had an actual real club meeting in forever since, well, since the first lockdown for almost a year. So I think we want to try to maybe, do some kind of mass zoom call or something where people can come in and we'll actually have a meeting again, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, We've we've thrown out that idea of trying to do like a mass thing, but we get enough complaints about from people saying, Oh, well I don't have email. Why can't you just call me and tell me this information or why can't I just come in? And it's like, can you imagine trying to run like a meeting virtually like that? And we would get so many complaints, but I'm just curious. You said this was your first executive meeting. Is this since the whole thing began, like last year? Or? No, no, no. Our first executive, our first virtual executive meeting. <laughs> oh, have you been doing your meetings in person still? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Because there's not really that many of us, like the executive only, right? Yeah. So we've been doing that whenever we had to. And Yeah. No, we've been doing our, our board member meetings, our executive member meetings, uh, virtually ever since the beginning of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Anyway, continue on. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, I, the only other thing I've been up to, I've started my online ham radio course. <laughs> I'm two, I'm two classes in. Um, the instructor's doing a really great job, but the topics are so dry. I don't know. It's kind of hard <laughs> to get through so far. But, like what uh, type of topics do they cover in it? Electrical theory so far. Um, tomorrow's class is Ohm's Law, so that'll be a party. Um, <laughs> fun. <laughs> I don't, I don't There'll know, be a lot like, of resistance. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. You should be, you should have been in that class. Oh, I'm gonna use that tomorrow. Can I use it? Oh go ahead. Yeah, sure. Take it. This, this won't air before tomorrow, so you're good. Okay. So how many people were on the class again? Oh um I think there's like hundred and fifty people on the call. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Is, uh, is Gavin taking the course too? He is, yeah. yeah. Gavin and Benny and, and uh Andrew. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Yep, all the Ragnarok guys are, I believe. 
Um, only one other guy from my gun club, though. I could only convince one other person. <laughs> so, but at least we'll have somewhat some kind of communications when the grid goes down. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it there. And uh, sadly, my IDPA match was supposed to be tomorrow, and it got canceled because uh, I guess that range is shut down too, or at least uh, guests aren't allowed to come. I guess. Yeah. So hopefully the date the date for that will be not too far in the future, but yeah. that's really that's about it. That's too bad. Yeah, just ruining all my plans. <laughs> Wrecking Benny Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so Amanda, what have you been up to? Well, not really a whole lot. Uh, there's been no action on my end, obviously, relating to firearms. But I did get into a few hot topic conversations that I was uh, actually approached on. So the first one... Um, I had touched base with a client that um, of my dad's that I had known since I was a child, and we ended up having a wonderful conversation with uh, about firearms, and we re- we had reconnected really well. So I thought that was really cool because he remembered me when I first started out in the business, and uh, he's just you know it just touched a base as if we had never stopped talking. So. But as we were talking about firearms, uh, he did get into some really sad stories about uh, gun owners and suicide. And so that kind of took me for a loop there. And the other was um, my ex asking me about regulations on BB guns. So long story short, there was some big drama about local police charging a young man with weapon uh, with intent to harm. So I'm not going to get into too much detail, but based on what the OPP release said versus the video that the civilian had recorded had caused some major drama. Uh, But it got me thinking about making sure to know the laws and how to properly travel with items that may be considered dangerous. Uh, And, you know, really, I'm not looking to choose sides and, and cause drama, but I thought, these are really hot button topics here. And at one point I would like to talk about them more um, in the future on the show, Um, more or less making sure that uh, all firearm owners are well informed, know their rights and how to handle these sensitive situations. Because, you know, this is the part of our, our hobby that requires some attention and, and good intent. Right. So I don't know. That was it just had my brain thinking today. And I was because when I was approached about it, I was like, I wow, that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't know how to deal with it. So but that other than that, that was about it for me. So Um, do you have uh, could you send me a link for the uh, for the news article or whatever about what the OPP released so that our listeners can take a look for themselves and draw their own conclusions? Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. So so if you're listening to this. Remember that episode of uh, Slamfire, probably five or six years ago, my friend Chris Babes, um, Chris and his wife, they just live in Oshawa here. <clears throat> and he's got two adorable little girls. It's a really hot summer day, and him and his daughters had squirt guns, and they're running around the property squirting each other with squirt guns. And somebody called the police on him for running around with squirt guns on a hot summer's day. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah, they, he, yeah, I don't think they took a bit. If you've ever met Chris, Chris Babes is uh, – Little bodybuilder. He's a little powerhouse. Just massive guy, and he's the most gentle, loving, caring dad with his with his kids. He's really good with his kids. 
And he's just out there being a good dad, you know, hot summer's day with squirt guns. And somebody got offended that they're pointing plastic toy guns at each other and shooting water. And they called the police on him and they had to respond as a gun call. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. You know, just a, just a dad having fun with his kids in a hot summer's day, you know, and some, I didn't even want to put a term on the type of person that would do something so low, like that you're so offended that you see some kid having fun with his dad. Like, you know. So I, I understand that the police have to respond, but I can't imagine what the cop actually said when he got out of his car. Like, you know. Apparently he apologized. Yeah, like, yeah, he apologized. <laughs> Look, I'm really, really sorry, but, you know, I have to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's good. At least he had a good response, and it wasn't the the SWAT team didn't show up and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a full-on takedown, so, yeah. yeah. It would it would take the SWAT team to take down Chris Babes. He's a big boy. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's, he's a bodybuilder. He's a massive, massive man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be on his bad side, put it that way. But he's a sweetheart. I just, I just remember I'm listening to the interview, and I just, I just the sheer stupidity of it. Like you know, a family having fun on their front lawn, and it somehow would have offended somebody. It was just, it's just, it, it's beyond comprehension these days. But yeah, yeah. So as far as the the BB gun thing goes, I mean, I mean, really, there's no. There's no regulation as far as any kind of transportation or anything. Like I could just walk down the street with it. I mean, it's uh, not a firearm uh, unless it was like over no, no, the no, no, speed limit, right? No, no. Be they changed law a couple years ago. Pellet guns are still considered firearms. Huh. You don't need a license of them. There's an exception for them. Right. But technically, if you're transporting it and it's deemed a firearm, um, I would still have it in the case. I wouldn't be walking with it in my hand. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Or a trigger lock. Uh, you know what? The kid, the uh, guy next door bought his kid a Pelican. The first thing I did was get a case and a trigger lock. And I told the kid to well, treat it like no firearm. And, and that's what me. I do. And that's what I do too with mine because, you know, just because of that reason, right? To let the kids treat it that way and yeah. have respect for it and practice good, good, uh, you know, good etiquette with that. But I mean, aside from that, it just seems crazy to me that unless I pointed it at somebody and threatened someone, I can't, I just couldn't imagine them considering it a weapon. It depends on what the call is. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if somebody perceives it's a thing, it's if, as soon as you point that at somebody, game, it's game over. You're being charged. You're going to jail. doesn't matter if you point anything at anybody with the intention of using the weapon, you're going to get charged. So yeah. whether it's an air gun or it's a water pistol or something, because the person you're pointing it at, they may not know that it's just a toy. And that's mm-hmm. why you get um, police officers getting killed by kids that actually have guns or, you know, kids getting killed by police officers. You know, it's vice versa. Cops have been killed. Kids have been killed. So it's it, you can't tell sometimes what is real and what is not. Mm-hmm. I have a Walther CP99 air pistol downstairs. It is identical. To, to the Walther gun. You could not, the only difference is that mine has a, doesn't have a little red striker at the back. If I pointed it at you, you would think it was a nine millimeter Walther. It's just, they're so realistic. So, so uh, in this case, the BB gun was in the back seat, unloaded, but no trigger and no case. As far as I'm aware, this person is not a, like a pal holder. Um, so just had a BB gun in the back seat. How they, is that legal or is that not? Were they in the vehicle? 
the the people, yeah, like the the driver, the owner. Like of he, the got, baby. he got pulled over, right? He got pulled over, yeah. yeah. Well, technically, you can transport a non-restricted firearm. Um, there's nothing that says it has to be encased or trigger locked during transport. Okay. Um, once you leave the vehicle, then it has to be out of sight. Um, but having and, something and like it, that and open, probably a trigger lock because then it's considered in storage, right? Once you leave the vehicle. Well, no, transportation and storage is two different things. Mm-hmm. Storing a non-restricted has to have the trigger lock and it has to be in case. But for transportation, there's nothing in the transportation law. Right. But say that, say you got out of the car and went to Tim Hortons, left the car in the parking lot with the gun in the trunk. Then it has to be out of sight. Just out of sight. Yeah, yeah that's, sight. that's what I thought. I didn't think that there was any regulation with that particular detail. Again, it's, it's, it, a, more, it, it's a more complicated situation and, and not one that I'm looking to get into at this I'm, point. But yeah, I'm curious uh, why the police officer actually stopped them with like what led up to it. Yeah. Yeah, that was a whole other <laughs> That was a whole other thing. Seems like we were there just looking for an excuse, right? Yeah. yeah. Long, long story short, it's it's a very it's a it's a pretty big situation that's being appealed right now and and uh, discussed because there was a, a videotape that the police allegedly deleted off of the gentleman's phone and he was able to uh, get it pulled back up. So, oh, beautiful. So let, let us know what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I will. So, but I just, it was funny that my ex brought that up and it just made me think because if I was in the car and because I used to have my little stickers on my SUV with like the girls with guns and shoot like a girl and that in itself would probably bring some attention to me and I don't want to be harassed about my firearms because I know I take good care to store it away properly, but you know what I mean? If that was the situation. So I would want to protect myself the best way I could as a responsible firearms owner. So well, that see, was... that's that's the thing. You're you have a firearms license, so you know what's involved. The person with the Pelican probably does not have a firearms license where yeah. you and I would probably put it in our trunk and do it as safe and follow all the rules and just take all the steps just to avoid any hassles. For sure. For somebody just to throw it in the back seat, you're thinking, hmm, what were they doing? They just threw it in the back seat. So, yeah. Exactly. So just thought I'd uh, bring that up because it is something I want to talk about in the future. I think I think it's really important. And also, I know we've had a little bit of discussion about how to handle authorities when they approach you. So I would like to get into more detail about that because, you know, I, I think it'd be important for our listeners to know. So anyway, that's it for me. Awesome. All right, so this week's main topic, uh, we are continuing talking about uh, mounting your scope on your rifle. So last episode, which was, oh boy, like a month ago now, um, kind of got derailed by Christmas and New Year's, uh, we talked about what kind of equipment you would need, or yeah, like what what you need, uh, scope, mounting rings, base pads. We went over all that. If you missed it, go back about, uh, so that would be, what, three episodes ago, so two... Oh, five? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. two of yeah. them. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you missed that episode, you can go back and listen to it and uh, hear all the things that you need for your for your rifle or to mount your scope. Uh, so now we're actually going to get into actually mounting it. Um, so the first thing you're going to want to do is install your mount. 
um, whether that's a one-piece or two-piece mount. We kind of talked about that last time. Uh, those are relatively straightforward. Usually they only go on one way. You can't really, there's really not a lot to mess up with that. Um, yeah, so you pretty much just mount it on the way it's supposed to go and, and go, go with it. Um, all the ones that I've had to deal with so far have all been one-piece ones. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty straightforward and easy. The only thing I would suggest before you actually mount it, uh, take some rubbing alcohol and some Q-tips and just clean out all the threads. Because yep. a lot of times, especially if stuff's coming from China, it's coming from overseas, it's going to be packed in oil. Yep. So if there's any oil in there, it will work itself loose. And uh, blue Loctite's your friend, red Loctite's the devil. Just let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's definitely the case. Um, yeah. So next, after you have that, is going to be mounting your rings onto your rifle, or onto your base, I should say. Uh, you want to make sure that you are placing the rings in the correct distance apart in order to ensure that you have the most flexibility with moving your scope backwards and forward. Um, you'll need this later on for making sure that you get the right eye relief. Um, what I mean by this, uh, unless you're using a one-piece ring set, then obviously you don't have a choice. But what I mean by this is you want it so that your front ring... How do I say that? So... You want your front ring will start to make contact with the scope where the bell begins and the scope can move all the way forward so that the back ring makes until the back ring makes contact with the magnification portion of the scope. You want that to be the maximum amount of movement back and forth. Um, like I said, it, it'll just give you the most flexibility later on when it comes to actually mounting it. Um, if your ring cannot be placed that far apart to enable you to have the absolute maximum amount of movement, that's okay. Just, just try and get as much as you can out of it. Um, like I said, it'll help you later on. Uh, the only thing I would add um, is that sometimes, especially, say, for example, some of the factory mounts, I'll give you a good example, say some of the Savage Bolt actions, you've got a set of holes in the front and a set of holes in the back, and that's it. You've got no play. Wherever that scope's going to be drilled, that's where your scope's going to be sitting. Um, it's a good idea to get a base where you can have like a Picatinny rail. We've got multiple adjustments. That way you can bring the scope further back to get the proper eye relief. Yep. A lot of times too, if you get a higher one, it'll give you the extra minute of angle that you're going to need if you're shooting extra long distances as well too. So your base is very important. Yep. Yep. Um, also when putting the rings on the base, make sure to look all, make sure to look at the way that they're tightened down. Um, what I mean by that is Usually you screw in from the side, so you want to make sure your your screw heads are away from things like the ejection port or your bolt handle, anything like that that might get in the way. Um, they're all things that, you know, empty cases will bounce off of, your knuckles will bounce off of, just because there's a little bit extra distance clearance there because of the, the head of the screw. So things that, you know, are just good to get out of the way. Um, I don't really think it can matters. I, can, I, can I add one more? Can I add one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing too. Say for example, the Savage uh, 220 bolt action shotguns. The base, the threads are two different sizes for the front and the back. So you guys, sometimes you have to match up because if the if the receiver's up a little bit higher or there's a difference in height where they can actually drill the, the screws. So I've noticed with the Savages, you got to be careful. If you've got two little smaller screws in the front and two bigger screws in the back. So read your instructions. Make sure you put in the proper screws for the proper holes with some guns. 
Yeah, I imagine you would find that out relatively quick, though, if you're trying to put the oh, yeah, yeah. screw in the wrong hole. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. this doesn't fit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or it fits so good, you don't even need to turn it. Exactly. Went right in there. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I discovered that a couple of years ago, too. I've, ne- I've never heard of that. Everything I've done has always had the, the same screw front and back. It depends on the on the receiver and how the barrel drops down. There's so many variables, so many different companies. So just you know, yep. that's why if you go if you go looking for um, mounts, you got to be very specific in what gun you have because production can change in a couple of years. Like if you've got a Remington 7600, it could be a five year difference in production, and it could be a change. So you have to know exactly what you're mounting on that particular firearm. Yep. Trial yep. and error. I I discovered it. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's how I learned everything I know about mounting scopes is trial and error. And trust me, there were errors. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't think it really matters which way you you mount your rings in the sense of which side the uh, the bolt head is on. Uh, but my my opinion, and I think anyone who has even the slightest amount of OCD would say that they should at least be on the same side. Don't mix <laughs> and match them. But I mean, if you if you just want to get the your local guy at your club, you know, blood boiling and going nuts, feel free to flip him around just to annoy him. <laughs> I I know I wouldn't be able to walk by that without being like, why? Like if you have a good reason, <laughs> by all means, go ahead and do it. But you're gonna get. Well, what happens if he toes it? Eat? Well, you've got opposite torque from different directions to give you a stronger mount. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay attention to any of that at all. Or you could put like one silver ring on there. Oh no, that drives me. Well, no, that doesn't drive me nuts. Like it bothers me. But as soon as I see that, the second thought is that guy broke the first screw and that was the replacement (laughs) screw he could get from home Depot. In which case case, I can, I can respect that. I can respect that a lot more than, than you just, you know, taking the finish off of one of your screw heads just to, just to annoy me. (laughs) Um, so before tightening them down, you'll want to make sure that uh, they're pushed all the way forward to the rings I'm talking. Um, this is that when you're shooting and the uh, the gun is recoiling. This is obviously more important the bigger bigger caliber you go, but it will it will have the least amount of effect on the rings during recoil. Because um, obviously, if your rings are moving during recoil, then your scope's also not going to be you know held in place and you're going to be losing your zero. So thing to consider because um, there, is, there is a little bit of wiggle in there and some some of them i have seen have quite a big wiggle it all just depends on the the ring manufacturer and what size screw they use and you know how accurate your picatinny or your your, your mounts are it could be also how precisely your, your rings are actually made you could have rings that have roofs or that are not tightly fitted that have little ripples in it and it could throw everything off yep so is that why people lack them yeah, you get a pair of cheap, you know, NC Star rings, and you clamp it down, and you clamp it off. You're going to see nice little, little rings around your scope, just left over from the machining process. So, if you're if you're putting a high dollar scope on a high dollar firearm, it's worth the money to get the kit and lap it and do everything properly. But you know, if you're just putting on a 1022 and you're just going out to do some target shooting, don't worry about it. I can't really imagine that there's someone out there that's like, I'm going to spend twelve thousand dollars on this precision long range rifle. Spend how many thousand dollars on scopes? I don't know what high-end scopes go for, but I know they're not cheap. And then be like, and I'm going to buy the cheapest Chinese knockoff rings I can find. Just use zip ties. Zip ties. There you go. At least... that's, I'm telling you, that's what they do. Like some, some firearms have 
specific rings like brownie for example have some that are tally rings and they've got a a mounting hole to make them really stable like no they're expensive they're 75 100 bucks rings that's what you want in that gun but guys will go out and still put 20 dollar hawk aluminum rings on them yeah at least the zip ties you could call them quick change rings <laughs> instant quick change yeah <laughs> in between shots even <laughs> so anyway so now that you're uh now that your rings are on, uh, you can take the top, make sure your top half of your rings are off, and place the scope on the rings on the rifle. Um, you'll want to turn the magnification as, all the way up to maximum. That will move the eye relief as far forward as it will go on the rifle, or on the scope, sorry. Um, the lower magnification you go, usually the bigger the eye box is. So that's why you want to move it all the way forward, because that's going to be, that's going to be your, your smallest window of opportunity there. Um, Although not good, it is better to be too far from the scope than too close. Um, ask a pirate. They'll give you a good reason why. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, so the position you plan to shoot in will also determine where you want the, the scope to end up. Um, you're going to want to adjust your scope for the closest you plan on being to the scope. So that might sound weird, but if you try different positions like uh, prone, bench, sitting, kneeling, standing, you, you might not necessarily realize it, but you are moving your head forward and backwards on your, uh, on the cheek comb. So you want to make that's, sure. Go ahead. That's a good point because when I, I discovered that when I went to Appleseed, cause my gear was set up for bench and it wasn't comfortable when I shot it prone. Yeah. So usually my face was canted forward. Yeah. So usually the best way to do it is to set it the furthest, set it up for the, for the furthest forward you will be. So usually that would be from closest to furthest is prone, bench, sitting, kneeling, then standing. Um, you know, there's some people who, it might be a hunting rifle and they're saying like, there's no way am I ever going prone because then I won't be able to see over the grass, right? You might say that the closest you'll ever be is sitting or kneeling or benched if you're sitting in a tree stand. Um, so you you figure out what's gonna be your, your situation. Obviously, if you want to make the best for everything, still do it prone, and that way you know that you'll be set for whatever you end up deciding to do with your rider, your rifle later on. Um, so, so once you are all set up in your shooting position, this is where Buddy kind of comes in handy, but you can do it on your own. Uh, you'll want to move the scope backward and forward until you kind of find that position where uh, where the black ring. In the scope, you'll notice when you look through it, if you get too too close, no, or too close to it, yeah, it you'll notice like a black ring will start coming in from the outside. So you'll want to move the scope backward and forward until you find that spot right where that black ring just disappears. Um, from there, you'll want to move the scope the scope forward just a little bit, you know, maybe half an inch at the most, um, just to make sure that you know maybe you weren't quite as far forward you know going prone this time as you are next time or when you're out hunting or at the range so it just just to give you a little bit of extra leeway that's good um so once that's kind of set up you're going to want to mark your scope where your rings are um either you could use a pencil you could use a piece of tape you know obviously you don't you probably don't really want to etch your scope anything permanent in case you end up you know, deciding that it's not the right spot and you want to move it later on. And also because who wants to put a nice big scratch in their brand new scope that they just paid who knows how much money on. Um, but that'll, that'll help you later on for finding that perfect spot. 
So the next part you're going to get to is leveling your scope. So the first thing you're going to need to do is level your rifle. Um, do this by putting a level on your scope base and adjusting your rifle so that it's level. I do this with a either if my gun had a bipod, then obviously just sitting it on the bench with the bipod is good. At least I find that worked for me. I also have a cleaning box that I don't even know where I got it from, but it came with these little arms that you can put in it to rest your rifle, I guess, for cleaning. But I've never understood that because why would you clean over top of the box? You're just going to get all your cleaning stuff in, like your dirty cleaning liquid inside your cleaning supply box. So never made sense to me, but whatever. It works great for uh, for leveling out my rifle, at least. Um, how do you do it without without some sort of bipod or a holder, Thomas? Well, actually, I have one of those. I think it's I think it's an MTM cleaning kit that you've got. It's just like that red base and the two arms. Um, you, you really need something to 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 hold the gun. You you really do, unless you've got uh, access to a vice where you can maybe put some padding in it, to something to keep it stable. But I have both. I have a bipod, and I have the cleaning rest. Um, you could try mounting it on say on a level surface, but the problem is sometimes you may have a rounded forearm, so it's you yeah. really want to get it in some type of stable platform where then you could level it. It's, yeah. And it's going to be important that it's in also a stable position because you might bump it. And if you're halfway through the process, you don't want to have to go all the way back and start all over again. So, so is, is the leveling process really just for the crosshairs? Because there's really no adjustment anywhere else. Yeah, I would say yes, it's for the crosshairs. And the reason why it starts becoming important is because now I'm going to be extreme and say that you're on a 45 degree angle and you're looking at your target and you're sighting it in and you say, oh, I need to go one inch up. Well, if you turn that one inch up, you're not going to go one inch up. You're going to go on a 45 degree angle at one inch. Mm -hmm. So, so like, I could <laughs> But how much realistically would you be out of level anyways when the when the mount is rigidly mounted to your receiver and then the rings are rigidly mounted to the mount. It doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of, a lot of like. And how would you even adjust anything if you were out of level? You would level. Well, you it don't. Again. First of all, your yeah, your, your well, your rings aren't going to be tight. So the idea is to get your rifle level and then get your rings level and then tighten tighten the rings. And then when you take it off, because you've leveled the two systems, when you mm -hmm. shoulder it, the crosshairs should be perfect. Right. Yeah. When you level the scope, not the rings. Yeah, and it can be difficult, like I think, because sometimes some scope levels, because the scopes are rounded, so a lot of times I'll just take the turret caps off because I have some with flat turret caps, but you want to be able to get a, a flat level portion on your rifle and a flat level portion on the scope, which can be difficult at times. Yep. Did that answer your question at all, Josh? Yeah, I guess so. I'll accept that. <laughs> if it doesn't answer your question, <laughs> then we'll try again. No, no, it's I get it. Yeah. It's, it's I think just, if, uh, if you if you if it's off axis, I think even as as the distance goes even further, your groupings are going to be your clicks aren't going to be as accurate. Yeah. yeah. And imagine your buddy saying that, oh, you have like just say you start getting into the point where you're shooting far distance, and you start caring about wind. How are mm -hmm. you going to be? And the your buddy says, oh, it's one click, whatever. And you and your think your crosshair is on a forty-five. Well, one click for you right. isn't really the right direction that you should be going yeah. in. I so. guess that's what I'm. That's that's what I'm thinking about. It's only for the uh, 
the axis of the crosshairs, really, because that's what I was. My point was that the scope in line is level to the receiver anyhow, just by the mounting brackets, right? Yeah, so it's just relative to the so crosshairs. Yeah, it's really just the angle of the crosshairs. That's yeah. the only reason we're doing this. Yeah. The, the the thing too that the problem that it does cause. So if you say if you eyeball it, and it's not really uh, and it's not level, what happens is when you shoulder it, you subconsciously you turn the whole rifle until right. it's level to, in your eyes. To make it look level so to your eyes. Yeah. To make it level to your eyes, where you just want it to pull it up and be perfect every time. So. Yep. No, I'm good now. Okay, good. <laughs> I hope we satisfied your answer. I oh, hope yeah. we satisfied all the listeners too, who's probably yelling at their computer. Anyway, Amanda's still taking Amanda's still taking notes, so we're okay. <laughs> yeah. So once the rifle is level, I usually move on to leveling the scope on the rifle. So like Thomas said, you should take off any covers on the top adjustments uh, because they're not always level. Sometimes they look flat, but they're not. They're not going to be as level as your actual adjustment, like the knob underneath, because that is actually what is part of the uh, crosshairs. That's why you use that portion of it. Um, so at that point, yeah, you make sure your scope is your scope is in line or your scope is level and is still lined up with that line that you made previously to make sure that you're going to get the right eye relief because you're not constantly getting back down underneath and making sure. So you're not really even looking through your scope at all for the leveling part. So because I have found this too, because before I leveled with a level, I kind of just eyeballed it and you look through your scope. And like Thomas said, you kind of, your, your eyeballs kind of naturally just make it level, whether it actually is or not. And you don't necessarily realize that you've canted the rifle a little bit. So that's why, that's why it's, uh, it's always a good idea to use an actual level and not just eyeball it. And for levels, I mean, I just use the regular same levels that I use for working around my house. I just have a small little like one foot one, and that's what I use. I bought a little uh, fisheye yeah. level I kind of like because it, yeah. it's yeah, those all around and I can, I can put that right on top of the, the turret. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Those are actually hard to find. But you can go to the dollar store and they have like those little dollar levels and there's like three levels in yeah. them and they just sure. pop out. I think I just got it at Home Depot. So, yeah. So now you can put your first ring top back on. Um, you're going to want to tighten it on like a car wheel. So if you've never changed a wheel on your car, um, unless you don't have a car, you should know how to change a wheel because what if you get a flat? That's a different subject though. Uh, so you want to, what you want to do is you want to not do the screw next to it. So usually, I don't know, I've never done a set of rings that doesn't have four screws, two on either side. Have you, Thomas? Usually the the, the rings for the high-kicking guns tend to have the, the four screw holes, something a little bit sturdier. I do what you do. I'll, 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 I won't do it tight, but I'll do the opposite corner. I'll do one on one side, one on the other, and I'll just I'll button it down, not tight, and I'll do the other two. And I'll button them down, but not tight. I still want it enough where I can still get it and, and get my level. Okay. Still move it a little bit just to do adjustments. Then I'll torque the whole thing down. Okay. See, so what I do is I will do one side and I'll give it a bunch of turns, switch to the other side, give it a bunch of turns, switch back, give that one a bunch of turns, switch back. And I'm just doing a, a bunch of turns, not till it's snug, not till it's tight, just, you know, whatever. Just to six, get it down. Six turns, and, whatever, right? So yeah. that, and the reason for that is I want that top half of the ring to come down 
perfectly parallel to the bottom half. I don't, and I want to make sure that doesn't become skewed. Um, another part yeah. of that is, so you still have your level on top of your scope and you're probably going to bump it. If you're like me, you're going to knock it off every two minutes. But so what you're going to end up doing is you're going to get frustrated and you're just going to leave it off while you're tightening it up half the way. And then you're going to remember, afraid I have to level this again, put it on and realize, wow, you're five miles off now. And now you have to start the process again. Um, so what I, that's why now I kind of keep going back and forth and it helps bring it straight down and it keeps you from actually twisting the scope in the mount, like in the rings as you're tightening these down. That's why you do this kind of crisscross pattern. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't like to criss bring one. I know sometimes a lot of people will crush one side down all the way and the other side will be up like, you know, of quite a few millimeters. Yeah. So I like to have it equal, equal yeah. on each side. So I'm getting equal pressure from left and right straight yep. down. Yep. And I believe that is the correct way to do it. You should be able to look at yeah. your rings afterwards because the rings should not actually meet up, right? If your rings meet up, then that means that your rings are not the right size for the scope. And you, you think your scope, scope might move inside the rings. Yeah, so there should yeah. be a gap. It's, it's not a defect. Don't bring it back to your, you know, to the guy and say, hey, you sold me the wrong rings. No, there's supposed to be a gap there. And you want that gap to be theoretically the exact same distance. And, least, and that's I, the advantage of, of the advantage of when you lap it, because you can take some material off it and you're still going to have enough room to get a nice clean clamp yeah. down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you're going back and forth. Um, that's the way I do it. Uh, checking my level every once in a while until the rings are snug, at which point you should use something like a torque wrench to continue doing that pattern until the torque wrench clicks, meaning that you're at the tight enough. Um, but that brings us to something that we haven't really covered yet, torque and Loctite. Well, we kind of covered it. You said don't use red, use blue, and that's pretty much what I yeah. would say. Um, yeah, blue Loctite, it... I use it on all the screws throughout this whole process. I want to use blue Loctite. Um, theoretically, if you have them torqued just right, then you don't, I don't think you need them. But I would say, you know, it's, I've had scopes come loose on me in the past. I've had scope fall off. I've had red dots come flying off at me. Um, <laughs> always use blue Loctite. They, they hurt too. Yeah, it's it's not a fun thing, and it's going to ruin your range trip, right? Even if you can remount your scope and you get it sighted in, you're still going to go home and I know this is a psychological thing. You shouldn't be talking negative to yourself. But when you go home and your partner says, hey, how, how did your rain trip go? You're probably not going to tell them how you finally got your scope sighted in and that you did a quarter-inch group at 300 yards. No, you're going to say, oh, I took three shots and the scope, the scope came off and hit me in the face. Right? <laughs> that's going to be, our... be your story, right? So put Loctite on. And your spouse and... is going to be on the floor laughing at you. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So when it yeah. when it comes to the Loctite, if you want to then remove these screws, how difficult is the blue Loctite to break free? Are there, are there any tips or tricks, or is there any kind of solvent it, it or anything? Takes, or? It takes a bit of torque. Yeah. Um, if it starts to fight you, don't fight it. Uh, hair dryer or um, soldering iron, just touch it. Oh, if, heat it the up. Red Loctite's a different story, man. You're going to have to heat that sucker up to get it off. But if if the blue's torqued down, you should just a little heat, hit it with a hair dryer for ten minutes. That'll do it. Or okay. soldering iron. Yeah, we'll break it. I have never had to use any heat when it comes to blue Loctite. Now, as we've discovered in our conversation outside of this, I apparently use way too much torque when I do anything. Hence why I use a <laughs> torque wrench now, because I will over-tighten and destroy things. Um, so, I do it too. Yeah, but I've never had a problem with blue Loctite. I've always been able to get it off. Like Thomas said, sometimes you have to use a little bit of extra muscles, but 
besides that, I've always been good. And like do you, you have said, a do you have a recommendation for a torque wrench you could put in the show notes? Um, so I uh, Wheeler makes them. Yeah, I've never used the Wheeler ones, but I've heard great things about them. I currently could I ask for one for Christmas one year, and what I think my dad did is he went to Canadian Tire and bought a torque wrench there, a Mastercraft. Now I'm sure that this is a perfectly fine torque wrench. The problem I have with it is when I got it in the packaging, and of course the packaging is long gone now, it said that it would a torque wrench good from, I don't know, I'm just going to make up numbers here, 5 to 25 pounds, right? Which, you know, sure, good rating. But the way you actually adjust it, it's just numbers 1 to 8. So if you have to torque something to 12, and a, 12 pounds, which, which number is 12 pounds? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I would not recommend the Mastercraft one. So what uh, what weight do you recommend? What what torque do you recommend for scope rings? Whatever the whatever the manufacturer says to use. Okay. Which is typically. I have no idea. Around like yeah, the, <laughs> I'm just wondering how precise or how uh, you know like I have a torque wrench, but like for automotive, but I'm thinking like this would be a precision small type item. Yeah, I I I want to say it's they're usually I want to say they're somewhere like ten. 10 foot pounds maybe if I'm thinking right. But I, I once again, I, I don't have something in front of me right now. Sure. Um, sure. So, and, you, but, and your owner's manual will tell you what, what the pound weight to torque down to. If you've got a high end scope, it'll recommend what the, the, the torque poundage is. What's that? What's that a user's manual? You, a lot of times you're, you're, yeah, <laughs> user guide by your scope. <laughs> like, no, George, read your manual. It will actually suggest torque. You, you read your, okay. You read your manual. Okay. Got it. Okay. I read everything. <laughs> oh jeez! You gotta have something to do when you're sitting in the toilet these days. Right? I thought that was to catch the Loctite as it's running off the screws. <laughs> oh shut up! So I just looked it I've up. Actually, yeah, we won't talk about that. Um, I just and? looked it up, and it says Leopold recommends 28 pounds. Um, Cytron said they only recommend 18. It sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It does sound like a lot to me too, but. Yeah, someone, yeah. That's, yes, uh, apparently, yeah, Leopold says 15 to 18 inch pounds. Hmm. Or inch pounds? Oh, because it's oh, inch, inch pounds, pounds, not, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah, okay. I think that's why, yeah, it's inch oh, pounds, not pounds. foot pounds, not, yeah. So that's why you can't use your car one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that does not sound right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, like, Thomas, well, you just said torque wrench. Dad didn't realize that it, it, it was automotive, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. You'll just, find out, just, though. <laughs> you need a disclaimer before this episode. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Thomas said, don't use red Loctite because you pretty much need to take a torch to it. And I can't imagine taking a torch to something so close to your scope and your scope coming out, you know, worth anything. So. So once your first ring cap is back on and torqued properly and you've checked your level again with everything and everything is level and you're good, pretty much just repeat the process for the for the second ring. Now, the second ring, I, I would not say you should do it any any more lightheartedly. Don't don't sh- take shortcuts. But because the first ring is holding on to it, it is going to help you stay level a lot more. So, yeah. So pretty much at this point. Congratulations, you've mounted a scope. Yay. Woohoo! 
good. So, Mike, uh, earlier you had said, oh, boy, have I made some mistakes. What, what, what's uh, what's your top five? <laughs> oh, um, not using Loctite. I've, that's, um, I've made the same mistake. I figured, oh, it's just a 22. There's no recoil. I'll be fine. And then well, halfway through the shoot, it's, it's well, almost fall. <laughs> and it's one of those things where even if it doesn't fall off today, it might fall off tomorrow or the next day or when yeah. you're at a maple seed. You never know. I just I I was so paranoid about using Loctite just because it felt so permanent to me. I know blue Loctite is made to come loose, but I was just scared as a new shooter. I had never done it before, and I was like, I don't want to be so permanent, but yep. really, you know, <laughs> if you and if you're if you're Loctite scared, nail polish works too. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it does the same thing. I, and it I dries was, faster. Yeah, I was scared the first time too when I was using Loctite because I've never actually used Loctite in my life before. I, I've never had a need to. So, yeah, when I had to use, when it said use Loctite, and it's like, it's recommended to use Loctite, I'm like, I'm going to skip on this. And, right. yeah, you have your wife's <laughs> scope fall off on her in the middle of a maple seed, you use Loctite every time after that. <laughs> oh, you got reamed after that, probably. Oh, uh, it was, it was a fun ride home. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, you know, so many, so many people have used my Ruger 1022 for the maple seed shoots, including myself. So Benny's used it, Wanda's used it, I think George has used it. But if they look really careful at the screws, there's pink nail polish in there holding those screws in because I didn't have any Loctite and it's held up for nine years. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there there are other options, yeah. especially as opposed to the official branded Loctite. There are other similar brands and similar products that will work just as well for you. Yeah, I've just got and the, the other thing, entire Ghost brand, whatever that is. Yeah. And sometimes you, you may encounter a problem when, when you are when you do have the scope on there that you're not going to have enough elevation. So sometimes you may have to put a shim to bring the scope up. And a lot of people really dislike putting any type of a slim to bring a scope up to get it back on target. That 1022 has had a piece of my cigarette package as a shim in it for 10 years and it hasn't budged. So, <laughs> like a piece of cardboard? I was at the range. I didn't have. Yeah, I just took my took piece of my cigarette package, cut, cut. One piece wasn't good enough. Two pieces, and I cramped it down. Put the nail polish in there, and it hasn't budged in 10 years. So, <laughs> yeah, I would be more concerned just in the sense of like something that's cardboard. Water may get to it and cause it to deteriorate. It, well, I guess I have to find out when I take it apart. I've never taken it apart since I put it on, and it's never shifted. Yeah. Now I know that this could cause damage to your to your firearm, depending on how well it goes or how sharp the edges are. But I would almost think something like a pop can would work well for something like that, because that is some very thin. Well, aluminum. that's normally what people. That's normally what people do. They would take a pair of scissors and cut a piece of thin aluminum off a pop can. Yeah. But I didn't have any at the time, so. And, you know, and I forgot about it. I honestly forgot about it until about a year ago. And I'm looking at the scope and I go, oh, crap. Yeah, I still got that piece of cigarette package in there. And then I saw the pink and the screws. And if you know, it hasn't it's been dead on since I've done it. So I'll just leave yep. it. Yep. I mean, people survive for how many decades without Loctite? So, you know, you can get away without it. But one of those things, just don't risk it. Uh, so, yeah. So you asked me some of the other blunders I've had with mounting scopes. Um, not doing them, like I said, not doing level crosshairs because I kind of, once again, I got in my head that I could do it better, you know, because, you know, the guy who'd only been doing this for three years, no better than the people who've been doing this for decades, more on me. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
You ever turn it so much that you snap the crosshair? No, I haven't snapped the... Well, I have snapped the crosshair, but not from turning the, the turrets. Yeah, I figured... I thought he snapped it from the turrets. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, uh, another one... Actually, you know what? I will admit, yeah, with Thomas, and he said using the wrong size screws, I used the wrong size screws once with a red dot on a pistol. And oh, once no. again, that Stripped was my... It? That was my fault. I didn't use a long enough screw. I thought that the screw, could I just use the screw that came with the gun, that came with the mounting plate, that came with everything. And then I later on found out that, oh, yeah, you just need a little, like an extra, whatever it was, an eighth of an inch longer what screw. Was it, it Loctite? Uh, I think it was Loctite. But there was oh. literally like one thread holding the whole screw in. <laughs> yeah. So of course it didn't take even with Loctite, there's just not enough there actually holding it on, so it came at, off. And think of a pistol. That red dot's mounted to a slide that's coming back at you. You know, it, the red dot doesn't come I, off on the forward part of the slide. It comes off on the back part of the of the slide. So I, I've seen a guy do it. He took the rear sight off his grand power and he mounted a red dot on the back. And it's not meant for an optic, the older ones. So he only engaged a couple of uh, threads, lined it up first shot. That optic came back and the other marked between the eyes. Yeah. So and then he got mad at the gun. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it's the gun's fault. It's, it's not my fault. fault. I put Loctite on it. Even <laughs> if I did put a screw that didn't actually reach the threads. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say those are probably, like, my biggest blunders when it's come to mounting a scope. I've never actually – I have, at least as far as I know, I haven't actually damaged any scopes or anything from mounting them. Um, yeah. You ever hurt yourself shooting with a scope? Um, I've never become a pirate, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> well, I gave I, myself a bleeding nose once. Oh, yeah? Your nose? I was – I was – I was like 15, I'm out in Claremont, I'm shooting my uncle's Winchester's 270, and I'm laying down prone, I've got the bipod on, and I've got my hunting license and everything, and I'm going after groundhogs, right? And it's a really long shot, and I just can't get it stable enough. I just, I'm just moving too much. So I just put my hand in front of the stock, right in front of my nose. And of course, the minute I pulled that trigger, of course, it came back and punched myself in the nose. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I have done that, but... It wasn't the scope that hit me. I hit myself. That was literally hit stop hitting yourself situation. And we're lucky we're at the age now where with optics, they usually put a little rubber gasket around the outside because 50 years ago, there was no such thing as rubber gasket around the outside. So that's why you got the pirates. I, I know old guys that have the complete semicircle scar around their eye because it was bare metal and just, just sliced <laughs> the face wide open. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yep. Um. Thomas, you'd probably know about this. My new, uh, or when, when you buy a Smith & Wesson Victory, it comes with a uh, plastic Picatinny rail. I just think that's definitely a recipe for disaster there. I'm sure it could oh, very easily, sure. I, I can't imagine anybody actually using that to mount something. Even the uh, Ruger 1022s now, they come with uh, uh, their polymer rail. Yeah. If you get any type of gun comes with any type of polymer rail, first thing to do is throw it out yeah. because it, it, it will shift. <laughs> Crazy. So, do do you guys have any other questions or comments about uh, what I wrote up there for how to mount a scope? Good job, Mike. It's good. Yeah, I didn't know about the whole magnification on maximum to to kind of uh, set your eye relief there. 
but but you guys have pretty much touched on my other questions that I had. Like, I mean, other than obviously trial and error was a big factor in how you guys figured out your process, but has there been any reliable resources for uh, other owners to take a look at? The place where I learn everything in life, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. But was there a channel in particular that was helpful? Helpful or no? No, I think you just. I think I just did the class. I think go to YouTube, punch in how to mount a scope on a rifle, and just yeah. you know watch half a dozen of them, and you'll you'll pick up right when you watch a half a dozen of them, you'll pick up that like they all do ninety percent of the same thing. That's probably the ninety percent that you should focus on. Yes, of right? course. So, um, for sure. Yeah. It's just it's it's not like. 20 years ago, you actually had to be researched and read books and get magazines and stuff. Now it's instant information. So you just have to wade right. through it to see who gives the most accurate information. Yeah. Because sometimes you're getting opinions as well as not yeah. just information. So. Well, that's yeah. why I said if you watch multiples of them, you, usually they have about 90% of the same content. Usually that's the important 90%. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of the optic manufacturers actually have how-to videos and helpful tutorials as well now, too. So it's it's very easy to get information uh, on how to properly install your optic. Yeah. Oh, perfect. No, I know I relied on Josh and also YouTube videos uh, because I am a visual learner. Like, I'm, I'm getting the gist of what you guys are saying, but I need to, like, get a video and, and see it because yep. uh, that's the way well, I learn. <clears throat> I think the most important thing that Mike touched on was that when you do mount it, you want it, you want to get on the maximum magnification because that's where your critical eye relief is. If you've got it on, say if you've got a three to nine, well on three power, when you shoulder it, you can move your face back and forth three or four inches and you're still going to get a perfect sight picture. As mm -hmm. soon as you crank it up to nine, all of a sudden you've got a limited three and a half inch eye relief and your eye has to be exactly at three and a half. That's so you right. want to get it. So whenever you, you, naturally pick up the scope pick up the rifle and put your cheek on it in your natural position that it's at that full position all the time mm -hmm. perfect you get and, used to it you set up all your guns like that and then you get you get very used to it yeah and you'll also find standing up you know when your your face or your eye is as far the furthest away from the scope that it will probably be you're mm -hmm. probably not going to have it on maximum on maximum uh magnification because imagine standing there with a nine power scope cranked all the way up, you know, it, you're going to see so much movement in that scope. It's going to be hard. You're going to want to turn it down. Whereas yeah. if you were going prone, you can turn it all the way up because you are in a very stable, steady position that you could take advantage of that higher magnification. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of times too is, um, is your fit as well. Um, a lot of times you'll get, say, a, a factory rifle with factory rifle sights is designed for a really low-mounted scope. Like It's not designed for an optic. So yeah. sometimes the size of the person or the size of the optics can make a big difference to how you actually look through it. So sometimes you'll, you will need a cheek riser to bring up your face. And one thing I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, that men and women are going to fit differently because women typically have longer necks, necks than men. So to set up a woman on a scope on a rifle may be a little bit different. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, that's it for me, though. I, I uh, Great content in there. I think that was great. Yep. And like we were talking about for a couple of old guys, eh? Yeah, not too bad at all. Yep. <laughs>
I like when we were talking about uh, the YouTube videos. Another nice thing with that is once you've gone through a bunch, you pick your favorite one and you literally hit start and you start, you do what they do. Then you hit like, you know, you watch what they do. You hit pause, you do it, right? You watch 30 seconds, you hit pause and then you do it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a good way it, to follow along if you're a visual learner like that. Especially if it's something that's maybe a, a difficult disassembly or reassembly. Um, I did the exact same thing when I first took apart my Browning Lever Action 22. I went online and I learned how to do it before I actually did it step by step. Like you said, 15 seconds holds, 15 seconds hold. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it was I, very helpful. I have, and I couldn't name what they are because I have them just saved on my YouTube, but I have go-to videos for, you know, when my 1911 won't go back together or when my 627 won't go back together. Um, I, I have videos saved that I will, that you'll find that you like and you'll just go to those ones whenever you need them. For sure. All right, so uh, that's it for well, that's it for the main topic this week. Um, next week, or next time we get around to this, at this rate, the way we're doing shows, uh, we'll get into actually sighting in your nice new scope and uh, how to make sure that you're hitting bullseye from here on out. So the next time you see us, we'll probably be out of daylight savings time, right? Where I have we're going. no idea when is daylight savings time change. <laughs> months, months. Oh. No, we're we're doing good. We're doing every two weeks. We just got a little derailed by the Christmas episode and the yeah. New Year's episode. So, but, yep. Well, stay tuned. And worst case scenario is, you know, just listen to more episodes, right? What's <laughs> the harm in, back. Yeah. What's, what's the harm in that? So start from the beginning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So if you want some entertaining episodes, go back to the very beginning of New Shooter Canada when George did it as a solo show. It's it's funny. It's good. <laughs> That's how we became friends. Yeah. It's, it's it was really hard to do, and it's little. And he really was a new shooter trying to share all the passion with new shooters. So it's it's actually very entertaining. Yeah. And it's a good joke if you want to laugh too. Yeah. But if you have any uh, feedback, questions, comments, or you want to make uh you know add in your two cents on how you mount scope, maybe you have a little trick that I missed to make life you know that much easier. You can send it to us at host at newshootercanada.ca, our Facebook page, or in the comment section on our website at newshootercanada.ca. So, anyone have any shout outs this week? I do. Just before, <clears throat> it was funny. Terry and I were talking about canceling the landline last week and we didn't and about an hour before uh, we started recording I got a call from an old uh, worker at Wheeltrans my friend Charles Tyne and I was really surprised to hear from him because I'd left Wheeltrans probably 15 years ago and Charles and I over the years have tried to get up to the range but because he was in one different we were in different departments different off days and we could never ever organize it so he actually called me up uh but three hours ago, he, he goes, hey, I re I'm retiring in four days. I need a hobby and a sport. I want to get into it. So I hooked him up. With, I gave my contact information for Guide to Games, gave him all the course information. So he's gung-ho. He wants to get his firearms license. And as soon as things open up with COVID, Charles are going shooting. So my shout-out to uh, Charles Tyne. He kept my business card for 15 years, and he still called me. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing your never, number didn't change. I'm glad it didn't change. And we were going to cancel the card last week. And... I always liked Charles. Super, super nice guy. So I was so glad to hear from him. So I have an opportunity to get another friend into shooting sports. So I'm looking forward to. So my shout out to Charles. That's awesome. Uh, my shout out is to Josh because I had plumbing problems today and he helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yep. Always good to have a friend who knows this stuff. 
Yeah. Yep. Totally. How about you, Josh? Do you have any shout outs? Uh, no, no. It's been a pretty quiet two weeks. Yeah. You, Amanda? Same here. It's been very quiet. Awesome. All right. Well, until next week, have a good week. Thomas, do you want to take us on out of here? Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep your barrels downrange and smoking. Time spent at the range is time spent with family. Go ahead and shoot like a girl. Choose your caliber wisely. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or feedback you may have, or if you just want to call shenanigans. You can contact us at host at newshootercanada.ca or through our Facebook page. Michael. <laughs> he, he wrote the main but, topic. He's got to come back. <laughs> and, you know, I can't think of anything meaner to ask you to say about Michael, so. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yes, Michael. His gingerbread houses are garbage. Oh, wait. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I came back right on that. <laughs> you know how to make my internet work again, don't you?